All right. Well, I think most everyone is making their way back in, and um, we're gonna we're excited to hear what Dr. Markham has to say for our well, not our last session, but our last session before the Q and A. Uh, but before that, I'm, I'm gonna invite Christina up here. Uh, Christina, of course, is my wife and uh, the owner of Christina's Kitchen just down the the street. You know, when when uh, we first moved in here about seven years ago, everyone knew Christina as oh, that's uh, Daniel's wife, and and now. I'm just uh, Christina's husband, so. <laughs> I just wanted to, I think many of you already know, but I thought I would re-invite most of you uh, to our free cooking classes that we do each month uh, at Christina's Kitchen at the restaurant. And uh, it's always on the third Tuesday of every month at 6 p.m., the one here in Whitley City. And, uh, of course, that's coming up this coming Tuesday. So that'll be this coming Tuesday at 6 p.m. will be our next class. And if you're closer to Somerset, I also teach the same class in Somerset on the second Tuesday of every month at 6 p.m. And with our classes, uh, we basically uh, choose one fruit or one vegetable each month and uh, do a class on that fruit or vegetable. And the purpose of the class is to teach you how to use fruits and vegetables and add them to your diet. So we're not telling you you have to make a complete change, but each month you'll find a new recipe to add to your diet, and eventually you'll find yourself eating a few more fruits and vegetables than you were before. And uh, we always have a lot of fun, so you're welcome to come anytime. It's free. You don't have to RSVP. We'll feed you. Uh, so, and we always have a, a good time, both our one here and the one in Somerset. So, do you have a question? It's at the Nutrition Center uh, by Roses at light number six. Uh, that whole strip mall, the Goodwill, Roses, it's all the way on the end. It's a little health food store called the Nutrition Center. And uh, that is our largest class. We usually have about 30 every month in that little building. So if you come to that one, come early so you get a seat. <laughs> or you might be standing in the back. But, uh, yeah. So I just wanted to invite you to that. Thank you. If you come, you won't be disappointed. We just had to put a little plug in for that. Uh, Dr. Markham, please please share with us. Okay. Well, thank you. I hope everyone's not too tired. It's a long time to sit all these hours um, and listen. But remember, this is just a, an overview of the Bible study, you know, just to give you a taste of what it feels like um, to do this. And this is this last session is my favorite of the three. And sometimes I go to churches and they don't have time to give you three spots, and this is the only one I get to give. But this is actually my favorite one because I think this is the key. And I think this is one of the things that sets this Bible study off from maybe some of the other ones, which are all very good, but this really focuses on the physiology of worship. And by working with patients through years and years, you know, not everyone can do everything at once. Not everyone can become a perfect eater or a perfect exerciser or a perfect drinker or perfect anything, okay? But it's through worship and having a friendship with God that makes it all makes it all work. And what I've seen over and over is people that start into this. You know, we are talking up here. We have a, a family from Harrodsburg, right? Harrodsburg, Kentucky. And they live near Asbury College up there. And we were talking. And, you know, some people see all the stress in the world and they're sick and all. And they just get discouraged. I can't do this. I, I just don't want it. I don't care. Just give me a pill. I'm so numb. I can't do this. I can't. I can't do anything. You know, that's how they feel. And they come to the office feeling so discouraged, you know. I had a guy the other day, um, you know, he comes in, he weighs about 400, he smokes, he drinks, he's got, you know, all sorts of problems. And, you know, how do you reach that person, you know? What if you feel like that way? Well, how do you reach you, you know? And I think this last lecture, this is week seven in the Bible study. Week six is on mental health, how to get your brain strong. And people, earlier today, we did a little bit of talk about some of the things about the brain changes. And I think that's where the greatest research is going to be over the next 10 years, is in brain health. Both the stress that we're doing on brain health, um, that we're doing to our brains, and how the gut and the brain interact. 
I think that's where the future is going to be. And epigenetics, how our genetics are changed by every little thing that happens in our body. I think that's where the future of this is going. Um, and it's very complex. And, and like I said, the, the more I learn about this, the less I know and the less I understand that the ultimate physician, you know, he's given us biblical prescriptions. Just now, are we being able to explain some of them with science? You know, we haven't known about vitamin D forever. We haven't known about, you know, of course, water, only when we quit drinking water. But I think a real problem that we're going to get into is going to be the media and, um, and the brain and how the average person spends 11, 11 hours in media a day getting the inputs that go into the hippocampus that affects our behavior and our health, 7.6 hours of screen time a day. And I see the next generation spending so much time on the cell phones. And I'm just finishing the initial research on um, the, the health, what, health, what cell phones do to our health. Okay? Um, and the number one cause of cell phone-related health problems is driving. It's driving. And I was driving in Chattanooga the other day, and I was stopped at a light, and six out of the eight cars on my left side were on cell phones. Six out of eight. And that's going to be a problem down the road. In Singapore, where the radio program was just picked up on, I said, well, you know, Singapore is very healthy. Now, only 19% Christian, but um, less than 10% obese, no diabetes, no drugs, no smoking. If, you, if, you, if you're found with drugs, they just kill you. So that eliminates that problem. You're not allowed to smoke. They eat very healthy because they tax the bad food out the wazoo. You can't afford to eat processed foods because it costs so much. So you have to eat what they do. So they're pretty healthy. But out of 100 people in Singapore, 135 of them have cell, fo- 135 cell phones per each 100 per people. In the world, 5 billion cell phones. 5 billion, no, 7 billion cell phones, 5 billion to non-industrialized countries. Africa, India, that's going to be the way we reach people with, with the gospel in the future is going to be, and so we're, in 2017, our goal is to use the proceeds from this to develop our first app. So we've got the team working on the app in 2017. So, so maybe God will take this to the 7 billion people with cell phones. Maybe we can turn it to an app where every hour they'll get a little beep and say, hey, did you drink your water? Hey, did you walk? Hey, did you worship? You know, and, and maybe do that. So that's sort of our, our next big thing in HeartWise that we're doing in 2017. We're going to turn it into an app. And the Baptist denomination asked if we could do one for kids, for them, a biblical prescription for kids. I don't know about that because the parents are the ones that drive a lot of the kids' health. So we'll have to think hard before we do that. They wanted to make it like a, Bible, a, um, a vacation Bible school thing where they could do you know, some health over seven days. So, so we're thinking about how this adapted. But remember, biblical prescriptions really can reach anybody at any time. But this is my favorite topic of the seven weeks, and it talks about the physiology of worship. And we're going to get going here somehow. Oh, I got it, Dan. It's my fault. It's not on. (laughs) That always helps. So just in the last five, five or six years, the studies have now been done on people that worship and what worship does to our body, both in the brain. Now we can image the brain with CAT scans, PET scans, EGs, and what it does to our very genetics. There's not a lot of studies out there, but I'm going to show you some studies that's going to really, it really excites you. Because when I realize when I worship my Lord and Savior, my genetics are changing. My body's getting better separate of everything else. It's getting better. So I'm going to end this, this, this introduction to this series that worship is a biblical prescription for life. Um, Matthew 11:28 says, Come to me, All ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So come to me. What does that mean? You know, be with me, have a relationship with me, worship with me. All ye who labor and are heavy laden. Well, I think that counts for stress. Remember, we talked about all the stresses in the world. For some people, it's relationship stress. For some people, it's physical stress. For some people, it's emotional stress. 
For some people, it's genetic stress that we were born with. All you that come to me and I will give you a gift, I'm going to give you rest. It's free. We worship a gift. I'm going to give you rest. So it seems like the treatment for stress is rest. So what's this word rest mean? Well, part of it's coming to me, is understanding the physiology of rest. And frequently I give the patients that aren't spiritually bent at least the three components of rest to change their physiology. We are not resting very well as the earth is aged. And people know this. We don't sleep as well at night. We're distracted. Lots of reasons. But God's promise, if we come to me, worship me, be with you, heavy laden, I will give you rest. Well, let's look a little bit about, you know, since worshiping, being with God is a key component, let's talk about worship. Because a lot of us have preconceived notions about what worship looks like. You know, it's what we've been brought up with. It's what we've been taught. This is what worship looks like. But I'm going to challenge you today, well, that's good, but worship can also be much more than that. And remember, this worship coming to him, he's going to give you rest, the treatment for it. There's real physiologies we're going to learn in the next few minutes behind this worship and resting in in Christ. Well, how did Adam worship? Um, Did Adam go to church? Did Adam listen to a preacher? Did Adam have a Bible to read? No, he didn't. He worked six days, and by the way, working is a biblical prescription for life too, and I've just finished a series on that. Um, but he worked, did his work, he rested on the Sabbath day, and I'm sure on that day he spent time with God, he broke his routine, he, he, he spent time looking at nature, taking things. He had a, a down day, basically. So worship for Adam was different than it is maybe for us. Well, what about Enoch? What about worship for Enoch? Well, I want to know about how he worshiped, right? Because he did it so well that God said, listen, Enoch, this place is not for you. Come and be with me. Let's be together. So so some things we know from the Bible, we know that Enoch walked with God. And this is where it's so tricky. You know, the, the word walk in English means one thing, but the Hebrew has like 30 different meanings. So how do you know which one they wanted to choose? Well, for Enoch's situation and culture, walk means moving with God. So Enoch literally moved with God on every aspect of his life. So I think worship for Enoch was a constant process. You know, he had God with him so much everywhere. Everything that he did was some type of worship, whether it was in serving, whether it was appreciating nature, whether it was talking to God. He, of course, he didn't have scripture to read, but he was so in a relationship with God that God said, listen, let's, let's, go, to, let's go to heaven. Come on, be with me for all the time. What about Noah? You know, what, was, what did Noah's worship look like? Well, Noah was building a boat, preaching to a lot of people, probably didn't get a lot of the results that he wanted, but Noah worshipped in a different way too. Noah was, was building and serving, building, making something happen, trying to help his fellow man see what was going on in the world. That was Noah. So worship in these three individuals were probably very different. Well, you remember the story of Stephen. Stephen, through his worship, was such to a point that were, when they were stoning him to death, you know, when they were just beating him to death, just giving him the hardest time, mental torment. Most people could not even imagine what that was. What was he doing? He was praising God and said, God, forgive these people. They don't know what they were doing. How many people could do that? Can you imagine where his worship took his brain? It took him to the place where he didn't have that stress that some of us have. He was at a higher plane that he was able to upshift, plug into God, and really... His, his worship must have been so advanced in that relationship. Um, so worship through the ages has looked very different. And there's different types of methods of worship. Now, we talk about Bible study and prayer. And biblical prescriptions is big on, on Bible study and prayer. But right now, one-third of our, our country is functionally illiterate. It's hard for them to study the Bible. Prayer. Prayer is a wonderful way to worship. But a lot of people do get a lot of worship out of serving others. As you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. I work in the hospital every fourth weekend, you know. 
the only way I can even enjoy that at all is saying I'm in a state of worship by serving other people. You know, so that at least helps me in the mindset. It's not fun to wake up at three o'clock in the morning when you slept two hours and go in. It's just not fun. But you have your brain program say, no, it's not about this. This is worship. This is worship. You train your brain. And so it makes it easier. You know, um, I had a hard time um, last. I'm on call every Wednesday night. And I got a call at 4 a.m. in the morning asking for me to give a sleeping pill to a patient at 4 a.m. in the morning. But my brain's been trained. No, service is worship. So I said, well, I don't give the, I don't give that. And you said, you know me, I don't give pain pills. You know, just tell them to take some deep breaths and, you know, they'll fall asleep eventually. You know, that, you know, so anyway. But, but, but when we serve a lot, service is worship. Um, giving thanks, praise, that's a form of worship. And some people, they enjoy that worship the best. And everyone, worship is more than corporate worship. It's, it's a way of life. And I wish we could, we now can study the brains and seeing how the brains worship the best. We know that some people get, you know, like a five change in the brain when they worship incorporately, but they get a 20 change in the brain when they serve someone else in the worship centers of the brain, which we now can, can study. Praise is a way that people worship. Nature, that's one of the ways I worship best. Um, when we were growing up, Dad, we used to go out hiking and, and canoeing and out in nature. And that's where I heard God's voice speaking the best. You know, when I'm walking on the beach or, or canoeing down the river or, or seeing something beautiful, you know, that God's... And that's where I feel... And that's I think Adam had that experience too in his worship. Um, caring for your body. You know, being a good steward of whatever God gives us. You know, our bodies really are a loner car like we talked about. Um, you know, our time. Is this really our time or it's, it's a gift from God to use? But caring for the gifts that God's give us, that can can be considered when we do it the best we can as acts of worship. Meeting with believers, other people. I would like to think that the time that we spend together this afternoon is is worshiping. And this church is going to continue this Bible study. And and at the end, we hope some people that are interested in, in being part of this Bible study at this church, sign your name, write it down. Pastor Dan will show you hi. And some people will want to continue worshiping with a small group that goes through this biblical prescription for life. So getting into the science of worship, those are the three parts of the brain I talked about earlier. We have the, the reptilian, well, I guess this group didn't hear that talk, but we have the lower brain stem, we have the midbrain, and then the neocortex. This part in the higher part is a part that we, we, um, where God talks to us at, right in here. This is called the anterior cingulate cortex. And this is the part of the brain that they've studied through different types of worship and how it changes the physiology of everything. It turns down the stress chemistry, which originates from this part of the brain, and it changes the physiology of us as we learn to live in worship. So we've learned about this through fancy things like, um, this is an MRI scan. How many have been in MRI scans? They're not fun, are they? You know, CAT scans, the MR, this is an MRI, this was a CAT scan. They're not fun to be in, but we can learn a lot about brains. And here's some just different scans of brains that, that we see. And there's the brain part up here. Of course, these are eyeballs over here. But this is the neocortex, the new brain. And we can actually study the connections. You know, the brain, 100 billion neurons and one quadrillion connections talking to each other. We have the right brain that does all of our creativity and making things and being creative. And the left brain, which receives information and how it integrates them. We now can learn about different parts of the brain and how it's affected by different behaviors that we do. Um, and now we're learning that just as dangerous as food is to parts of our body, brain and things we put in our brain also has similar physiologic effects. So I tell people, you know, it's important what you eat. Don't get me wrong, but it's also just as important what you think. Because you've got to get your thinking on right, too. This is an EEG. So the brain is not only a physical entity, but it makes electricity. It's electromagnetic, and it also makes chemicals within it. So the brain is very complicated. We know very little about the brain. A lot of people associate it with the Internet. The brain is like the Internet. But I think in what I've known so far, the brain is much more complicated than the Internet. Much more complicated than the Internet. 
Um, but, but we're learning more. And this is, there's, there's new fields of this. Michio Kacho is a physicist that's done um, a book about the brain that I read recently. Um, and it's just amazing that they're able to, to reprogram parts of the brain. And, you know, they're also now studying how to put certain skill sets into your brain. You know, you know, you can't do this. Well, I'm going to insert this skill set into these neuropathways. So they're studying this. But I guess one of the pioneers of studying worship in the brain was Andrew Newberg. And Andrew works at the University of Pennsylvania. And I had the time to visit with him not too long ago. And he wrote this book a few years ago, How God Changes Your Brain. Breakthroughs, findings from a leading neuroscientist. And he's a medical doctor. But what Andrew's done is he's taken these scans and studied different types of worship and see what happens inside the brain. The physiologic changes inside the brain as well as the chemical changes. And one of the studies that he did is he worked with somebody and he had him, he just randomly chose him and he had him worship for, uh, I think it was 10 to 12 minutes a day for two months. And he studied his brain before and after. And after just 10 minutes of worship for two months, he saw dramatic changes in the physical structure in the brain. In fact, the part of the brain that changed was the anterior cingulate cortex that's right up here. And after he started observing the changes of this part of the brain, it started growing new connections, it more active, more busy. Um, the metabolism increased. Um, it started getting stronger through worship. But some other things that they notice is this part of the brain started to turn off. The stress part of the brain started to turn down. So we also measured the chemicals that come from these part of the brains. The, the stress chemistry like epinephrine, cortisol, inflammatory markers, they all started to go down. The good chemicals of the brain like GABA and dopamine and some of those endorphins, they started to go up. And that was just today, this gentleman. So they started to study worships that weren't so good. Worships based in fear or guilt. Worship that was painful or happy worship. What they saw, they saw negative, negative, negative um, chemistry of worship. We saw, they saw this part of the brain shrink up and this part of the brain start to get bigger when they had that. So this was, everyone was very excited about this, but can you imagine this, this research is very expensive. You know, doing a PET scan, I don't know if you've ever paid for it out of your pocket, but doing a PET scan is very, very expensive. So you cannot get 100 people on a PET scan unless you have someone funding the study. Well, as you can imagine, denominations don't want to fund this study because what if they showed the worship of their church hurts people's brain? Don't want to do that. Um, um, drug makers, do you think they want to do this type of worship? They don't want to pay for this type of worship. So there's some independent groups that have paid for this, but this looks at the brain in great detail when people worship and show the changes. And now they've gone down to the very DNA. You know, the brain changes and it grows things and turns off chemistry based on changes in our DNA. And a few years ago, Francis Collins, he um, wrote the book, The Language of God. And he thinks the language of God is in our DNA because the DNA has expressions based on different things we do. And now we can sequence the entire DNA. We can know all the genes that are turned on and off based on many activities that we do. We know which genes are associated with disease, certain ones that are activated in cancer. We know about tumor suppressor dreams, genes. We know that all these stresses that we talked about changes the telomeres. These are all changes in our genetics. We can actually localize where it's happening now. Well, guess what? Someone said, well, let's study that with people that worship and people that don't worship, just like we saw the, the brain scans the pet that Newberg did. So the group out of Harvard started looking at the DNA in great detail. So DUSEC at Harvard, and this is a fancy word, it's called genomic or the genes, counter stress changes induced by the relaxation response. So basically, he had different people relax in different ways, including worship. And what he studied is they had a fancy way of studying all the genes called microarray analysis, where we could see which genes were turned on and which genes were turned off during worship. We also knew what these genes did at a baseline. So he looked at um, 
he looked at this and he, he said, well, well, this response, 2,209 genes were expressed differently. So that's how many genes changed. And the genes that he looked at were the ones associated with stress. So any type of stress in the body turns on these 2,209 genes, these genes here, and those genes, when they're turned on, um, cause the, the, the part of the body that it controls to get old, to get stressed, to wear out, prompting the symptoms that we develop. So we call this, when stress affects our genes, a lot of people call it oxidation. Have you heard that term? Some people call it, I call it rusting. Some people call it aging. Um, whatever you call it, basically genes are getting old. They're doing things they're not supposed to do. We call that oxidation. It has to involve electron. It's very complex biochemistry. But he looked at 2,209 genes doing that differently. And he noticed that when he did that, of those stress-related genes, these are genes that are changed with stress, out of those 1,500 genes changed expression for the good after they started worshiping. Now, they call it relaxation, rest, training. But part of that was worship, when they worship and came into that rest. And this resulted in each of the patients better regulation of the immune system, lower stress, less oxidation, and it also means less heart attacks, less cancer, less chronic disease, less inflammation, everything just by doing one thing, you know, learning this what he called relaxation response. Part of that was worth it. So now in talking about the physiology of worship, there's a couple take-home points I want you to realize today that the, the brain changes the entire body. And just as important as the food and our exercise and the water is, is what we put into our brain. And as time goes on, people are putting more and more things in the brain that might be hurting our brain without our knowing it. All these things that we put change our hippocampus, are stored in our brain, whether it ever gets to our, our conscious mind. There are things that are going on in your brain that you'll never know about. Okay, But we have to start treating the brain and understanding the brain as a cause of disease. So in, in this, if we go back to our test in Matthew, remember it says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We know that as we come to know God, that is a treatment for, for, for um, these stress-related changes. And remember the text, to love God is to know God. So to understand the physiology of worship, we have to understand what these words mean. Now, love to me is a word that represents complex physiology. So I want to know, well, what physiology does acts of love show in the body? How can we measure this in genetics? How can we measure this in the brain, what love looks like? Love might look like different things, but we know to know God is to love God. Love casts out fear, helps us deal with strength. So the only way to know God is to, to be with him. And it says, come unto me and I will give you rest. The three components of rest is the physical, the mental, taking breaks, and then the spiritual rest that we come into when we worship God. Now, how we worship God, that is a learning experience as the relationship grows. And I think some people, when they start worshiping God, it might be one thing. But look what happened to Enoch. You know, Enoch morphed into a different type of worship than Adam had. Stephen had a different type of worship than you or I might have. But our goal in biblical prescriptions for life is to let people know that we need to worship. And we need to find out how we worship. And there's many ways to worship. And as we worship, it changes the physiology of our body, turns off the stress chemistry, upregulates our brain so our brain makes better decisions, so we have the power to do things out of love and not out of selfish reasons, then we can move forward one step at a time. As our physical health gets better, our brain starts to grow because there's less stress on it, and we can actually worship better. I've been I've taken care of people that have been so stressed to me and so down in their in their brain thinking that they didn't even have the top part of the brain working so they could even communicate with God and they didn't even know it. Why doesn't God hear me? I feel like God is so far away. Well, part of the reason is they've downshifted their brain into the stress part and they're not up at the higher parts of the brain that are communicating with God. So come unto me and I will give you rest. So rest and worship decreases the stress chemistry that we talked about at the very beginning. So worship is a stress reducer, so it's another biblical prescription for life. And worship in, 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 
in separation than everything else we've talked about, worship itself is, is a valuable treatment for chronic disease, and worship is the key um, treatment for um, biblical prescriptions because everything builds on that. That didn't seem like it made much sense as I said that. Did that make sense to you? Okay, if it didn't, I'll go over that again. But really, it starts in the brain. And I have a lot of people that do things, good things for the wrong reasons. When you do good things for the wrong reasons, you're doing good things but for selfish reasons. When you move down to selfishness, that's the opposite of love. You're turning off the brain chemistry. So if you do things for the wrong, right, good things for the wrong reasons, you're hurting yourself. So we want to do good things for the right things, and it really comes on worship. So the whole Biblical Prescription for Life series is based on the importance of finding a way to connect with God. And even if you can't do anything as you come into worship, you'll realize that we have a Savior that makes up for our weaknesses and give us the power to take us to the next step. There's some of us that are not going to be able to do much of this, but we know we have a Savior that's going to make up for our weaknesses in the end. Um, Here's a story I want to end with tonight. This is Kayla, and Kayla's had autism since um, she was born. And um, this is Tabitha. She's our executive secretary at the Chattanooga Heart Institute. And Kayla is 22 years old, and, and, and Tabitha is taking care of Kayla every day of her life. Um, Kayla can't speak. Um, she can't communicate. Um, but... Um, but Tabitha, her husband left her because of this when years ago. But Tabitha has taken care of Kayla every day. Well, not um, so. How do you, how does God find someone like this? You know, how does God find someone that's so genetically stressed? Um, how does God? How does Kayla learn how to worship? You know, all these things don't mean much for her. You know, the food thing, the the, the exercise. That's not. You know, that she can't understand that. But every night. Um, Tabitha would worship with Kayla in their, in their apartment. They'd worship together, and Tabitha would learn that the mom was doing something very special. And so they'd go home every night, and, and when, when, when Kayla wanted to connect with this, this she would just touch herself in, in the head, and that's how she let Tabitha know that she wanted this, this, this prayer and this, this spiritual thing. Well, Tabitha was baptized the best she could, um, unfortunately, two months ago, um, Tabitha passed away. You know, autism, that, and, and as you can imagine. But you know what? Kayla, you know, didn't eat right. She didn't exercise. She didn't drink probably enough water. All these things we talk about didn't mean a whole lot to her. But you know, God still found a way to get to her heart, and she still found out a way to worship. And God's going to heal Tabitha in his time and his, his way too. And that's the hope we have for each one of us. And that's the whole goal for biblical prescriptions for life, to realize that when we're in a relationship with God, it's going to be okay. We don't have to be perfect. But we have to keep in that worshipful relationship. Because the better we worship, the better good things happen. You know, look at the examples in the Bible of great things that happen, the better people worship. And we can worship better when we take better care of our bodies, and as we worship better, um, that gives us the power to make these changes one step at a time. We can be successful. We can apply biblical prescriptions to our life. And so I wanted to tell that story about Tabitha to realize that biblical prescriptions, one person doesn't have the same formula. It's, it's different for every person. And that goes with our exercise, going outside, the food we eat. But, but we, all have to, we all have to find a way to connect with God because God is the ultimate biblical prescription for life. That's what sort of sets this program a little bit apart is that we really focus on each lesson, whether it be water and the living water, um, stress and the answer for stress, movement, walking with God, getting out in the sunshine, getting into true life, create me a healthy brain, you know, ask God to do that. I'm getting back to the food prescriptions. It's just not one thing. It's everything working together based on a relationship that we have to the God that's the only one that can give us the power to change. If we change only because we want to change, 
That's not good. That's damaging our brain. That's selfishness. That is not love. But when we change for the right reasons based on a relationship, all this makes sense. And that, and we've talked to the initial 500 people that have taken biblical prescriptions for life that finished the seven-week course. And I thought, you know, most of them are going to say well, what they benefited from most was maybe learning how to eat better. They maybe didn't know about all this, you know, food stuff or, or maybe even getting into walking. That wasn't it. What the first 500 people said, what, what meant the most to them is the relationships. The relationships they had in a small group that they weren't having. Loving relationships where they loved people and not judged them. Now, judging is a negative thing for, for, for body's chemistry, and there's a whole section on that. But um, loving each other and also realizing that God loved them. And they didn't have to, they live one day at a time. They didn't live the past. They live today. And God was going to heal them. And God gave them power to have little victories. And the little victories might be drinking two glasses of water a day. But when they saw they did it and they saw God giving them the power working in their lives, then they realized, yeah, God is really here for me. This can be done. We have a God that's real, that's interested in every aspect of our lives, our mental aspects, our physical aspects, that wants us to be healthy, that it wants to heal us. This is the way. We don't have to fall into the ruts that are all around us. We can rise above it. We don't have to be programmed now by the media. We don't have to be programmed. God can program our brains if we let him at his rate and his speed. That's what the people, the initial 500, have found the greatest benefit is it improved their relationship with each other and it improved their relationship with God by doing simple physical things. It really surprised me, but I think as this group moves forward and Dan's going to talk about how... Um, the church here can sign up if you want to participate in it, and we'll train your leaders. If there are some that come far away and they want more information, go to our website, biblicalprescriptionsforlife.com, and I've got some cards to give people if you don't live in this area. But I think it's worth a try, and what our goal is with this is, is to create a movement. You know, Give people other tools that will connect with their Savior, because that's really our calling is to show God's love to the world and, you know, let them know about what the gospel, the good gospel is, is that, that God's given his, his life through his son and he's going to save us. We sometimes get distracted by everything else, but sometimes working in health in small groups can get us focused on that and realize that we can do this. So I want to close in prayer and Daniel is going to come up and give some more logistics and then for those that want to stay, I'll be happy to, to have a question and answer session afterwards because I've been doing this for a while. I can, I can answer or deflect almost any question that's given to me now. So let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, thank you for each person that's here today. And thank you for healing them right now. No matter what happens, we know that they're in a relationship with you and they're saved. The evil one in the world around us wants to program our brains differently, Father. But you said, come unto me, worship me, and I will give you rest. You said that whosoever would believe in me should have everlasting life. You've given us those promises, and we believe that you're a God that tells the truth. We've seen through science how biblical prescriptions for life can change our entire body, including the very neurons that you created. Thank you for being with us today, Father, and help us to remember these things and apply them to our lives is our prayer today. Amen. Now, Dr. Markham was just talking about worship and how this worship experience that we have with God not only, of course, is, is beneficial for our eternal interest, but it benefits our health. Who, who knew? Who knew that worship? Well, of course, God knew. Um, I want, as a, as a one more gift to you all from our church here today, this little book called Happiness Digest. Now, some of you may have this book, and if you have this book, um, then you can, you can attest to, the, to um, what I'm about to say. I read this book, and this book has changed my life. Just a little book. It's an easy read. Just, you can read it two or three days if you just read it for a few minutes, a uh, little while each day. Um, if you know that you have this book at home um, right now, um, you might pass on the on the books I'm giving out today because I'm not for sure if I have enough to go around to everyone. But we'll go as far as as far as we can. So if you do know that for sure that you have it at home, 
or, or maybe couples can share if we don't have quite enough to go around. But this is our gift to you today, Happiness Digest. Uh, let this reinvigorate your experience with Jesus Christ. Dr. Markham, can I, can I ask you a few questions? Because I, I've, I know that we've got the question basket, and I think we're going to bring those out here in a minute. Is that right? Yes, yes. Yeah, okay. But before that, I want to ask you some questions. That a bunch of people have been asking me about this book that was on display in the front, right? A bunch of you were asking about this book, right? And I think uh, Dr. Markham has alluded to this, but uh, this isn't just a book that you go home and, and read from cover to cover, right? No, no. T- tell me, how do you use this book? Yeah, this is actually the Bible study itself, okay? And it's and it's a seven-week study where you go home and you, with a small group, you go through a lesson each day, and you do the reading, and you do some answering questions, and it requires you to, to connect with the people in your group and do some praying and calling, and it goes through these things one step at a time, and it shows how the physical and spiritual work together. So you do a lesson each day, and then you'd meet with your small group the next week. You'd watch another video, a 20-minute video that I do, and that would sort of move you to the next topic. Usually the groups go around in a circle, say, listen, we talked about this last week. How did your week go? Well, I drank more water and I felt better. Well, I had to go to the bathroom every five minutes. You know, they go around the circle and they share. But remember, we found out that it's not so much the physical act of doing it, that people benefited from it. It's the relationships they develop with each other and God that made the biggest difference. So they go around that, and then they talk. There's some study questions that they talk about, and then they, you know, it usually lasts about 45 minutes, and they go home. But we encourage them during the week to call each other, to text each other, to be a part of each lives, to help make people accountable. You know, we had one lady said, yeah, my, my, my study buddy called me twice a week, and if I wasn't getting up every hour, she was sort of getting on me. You know, so so that kind of it makes people accountable um, to do things. And it goes through, you know, some of the things that we talked about today in much greater detail and much slower steps. We don't call it exercise. We call it movement. You know, we don't call it a specific diet. We call it nutrition. We, you know, and, and one of, you know, a couple of days we just said we asked people to keep track of how much soda they were drinking. A lot of people don't realize the stuff they're putting in their bodies, the sodas and stuff. Sometimes we ask, well, how much movement are, how much do you just stay still at one time? Are you going outside? How is your mental health? The mental health part really helped people out because it helped them lower anxiety, stress, fear, and realize you can be in control with God's help. And that's one of the things that people realize that take this. Yes, you can be control over your health. You can make great progress. And God's right there to help hold your hand. That's exciting. And in fact, I think I know several, uh, a number of people, co-workers and friends, neighbors, who, who might be interested, who aren't here today, but might benefit from this. I'm, you think Any of you think you know some people that might benefit from something like this? Now, let me ask you, Dr. Markham, how difficult is it? I mean, does, does it take a PhD or an MD to, to uh, lead out on one of these? Uh, no, groups? it doesn't. If you want to be a leader, it's real simple. We have guides on our, our website, biblical prescriptions that you can read. We have things you can download about how to do it. But basically what you have to do, the very first time you come and get everyone together and say, hey, nice to meet everyone. Everyone visits and everyone says, he said, well, let's watch the video together. So everyone watches the video first, and then there's a few discussion questions after the video. And the leader says, hey, you guys go home and work on the lessons, and let's become friends, and let's connect with other social media, whatever, and we get back next week. And then they get back next week, and, and then the leader says, well, how did your week go on this lesson? Did everyone do every day? Did some people skip some days? And, and they go around a circle, and they, they, get, they give their experience with the lesson, how God changed them and how God worked with them. And it's very interesting that once people started asking God to help them do these things, they got excited. And they would say how God was working in their lives around the circle. And then the leader would say, well, it's now time to watch the next video. So that usually took about 15, 20 minutes right there. They put the next video in it, lasts 20 minutes. There's 40 minutes. They'd have a short discussion on that for 10 or 15 minutes. Then what we found out is some of them like to bring snacks and some of them like to do other things together and have a little social time. And then they were done. So, so you're saying that if I have a living room and I have a DVD player and I know how to operate it and I can get some friends together, I could, I could probably lead a group yes. in, my, in my home. Yes. And what was exciting is, is once someone – the churches have done it, they've gone through it themselves first. 
And then once they see the value of it and how it changed their lives, then they're excited and motivated enough to knock on that door of a neighbor that might have a health problem. Then, 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 then they go up to that neighbor and say, listen, I, I had a health problem. I was feeling tired. I had no energy. I took this seven-week Bible study, and all of a sudden my energy got better, and, and, and my blood pressure came down or whatever. Would you be interested in coming to my house and doing this every whatever day for the next seven weeks? So it's something that kind of grows. Like we, we could do one maybe at the church, and then mm-hmm. we could do one, do one, you know, each of the different right. people who are here could do something like that as Ask well. Ask your friends or neighbors, someone you're in contact with, someone that you haven't known how to reach out to, but you know they need help. Sure. That sure. you know you want to bring them the gospel, but you don't know how. Sure. Well, this doesn't talk, you know, this has the gospel throughout, but at the end, it talks about the physiology of worship. And the goal is, is once that person realizes that how important worship is for their health and for their chemistry, that they'll say, they'll be brave and say, well, why don't you come worship at my church? Why don't you come worship with me some more? And we've seen churches start to grow this way. It's not like a, a, a big evangelistic crusade. This is about relationships one at a time, sure. feeling comfortable with people you already know that you want to help. You feel that God wants you to bring the gospel. And part of it's praying, God, show me how to use this new tool to help you. Right. And, and I think you alluded to this before, too. This isn't just something that one church is using. You mentioned Baptists. Yeah, you mentioned we, other... this, is a, this is a non-denominational study. We have every different denomination using this at this point. That is, that is so great. Because it brings people into relationship with Christ through biblical principles. Is any of you excited about this? I am. I see several of you, uh, of you are. Um, and um, we've talked uh, here in our church a little bit about doing a, uh, a small group, and we haven't worked out the details of it because we wanted to see how much response do we have from this. We've talked about doing a small group right here in the Stearns area. I don't know yet if we're going to try to do it here in this facility at the Stearns Church. Uh, Christina mentioned that we could do a group there at Christina's Kitchen. We've got a little place there. We've got a TV there. We could put the DVD in. We could do something at Christina's Kitchen. Uh, this couple right here just a, a few minutes ago mentioned they would be interested. Now, they, you guys live in Albany, right, near Albany. So that's a little ways away. That's, that's a little bit uh, west of here. So anyone, uh, they, they might want to host something like that there in Albany. Uh, I know some of you, many of you have driven in from a, a good distance away. So uh, for our friends who've driven now, in. We have a whole box that, that belongs to your church. Okay. So you can decide what your church wants to do with that big box out there of biblical prescriptions. So, so let's just suppose that, that these people go home today, um, but they decide, um, you know, maybe over the next couple of days, hey, I'd like to do something like this. How can they get, how can they get this material? Yeah, the best, one of the ways is go to the website, biblicalprescriptionsforlife.com. Biblicalprescriptionsforlife.com. Everything is there. I have some cards to give you if you need to write that down. It's, it's also bibli- on your program. It's biblicalprescriptionsforlife.com. You're going to be hearing a lot about this over the next three or four months. Um, we're taking it on our media outlets and that. So, But what we want to do the first year is figure out what works. And I didn't want to spend a lot of effort doing this program if there wasn't results, because you never know if it's sure. going to work. But so far, the first 500 people have had results, and we're excited. Praise God. In, That's exciting. In numerous denominations, um, you know, we've had denominations that want to make it part of their fabric, mm-hmm. um, and it's just an exciting tool that we can use for evangelism. Um, the pricing of this, everyone wants to know, this small group study costs about $20, $20, okay? It's about 280 pages, seven weeks, $20. Mm-hmm. And each member that does the Bible study really should have one of these because sure. you fill it in. It's a personal thing, and you read it, and you can save it, and it can be yours for the rest of your life. So if you want to take it again and see you know, what, what, how you've progressed, this. so each person gets this. And that's about the same as it costs for Beth Moore, Kay Arthur, or, or Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey is a little bit more expensive. Hey, if um, I go to the doctor, I got at least a twenty dollars copay. That, that's right. So, so that's <laughs> I mean, how much a, the the video that, that has each of the lessons that goes with that is is fifteen dollars. And there's some examples of the videos back there that we're leaving for your church, and but they can order them off the website too. And we suggest that a video be for ten people. 
you know, so 10 people would share the video. If they want to copy it, it's not a big deal because we're not here. We're here to spread the gospel, Dan. We're, you know, we're, we want to grow the program, but, but this is to spread the gospel. So if they want to copy the programs, that's okay. Okay. I awesome. mean, the videos. You know, the, if they buy the, one, the they want to copy the videos on a DVD machine, that's okay too. And we have all the examples out there, a whole box full of that out there for you to decide how you want to disperse. So those of you who are here, please, please look at the look at the materials. They're on display as you as you go out. Take a look at that and seriously consider. Also, on your uh, each of you should have received the survey response card. If you are interested in hosting or leading a group like this, please indicate yes. You don't have to be you're not committing, you're not saying yes, I'm I'm signing up today, but that's you're interested in. And uh, that way we'll we'll have your contact information and we can kind of follow up later uh, on that interest as well. Um, I believe we just have a couple more minutes. Uh, we've done our drawing um, and we've you've all got these these books, right? I think we had some questions in the back. Some of you have turned in questions in our question yeah, basket. Can you bring me the questions, and we'll go over those. And, and if someone has to go, it's 5 o'clock. Feel free to, to move on out if you want to go or you have some commitments to do. And I will try to go through this is as quick as I can, okay? Is tanning beds um, substitute for the sun, okay? That's going to be an easy one. No. <laughs> Tanning beds are not good. They're dangerous. So try not to do um, tanning beds. Why do you think of the latest eat fat, get thin movement? Not good. Fat is not good for the body. Fat will cause you to lose weight, but in the long run, it's going to deposit in places you don't want. In fact, the person that really started that movement um, died of a heart attack. Okay, I'll do the little ones first. You should make commercials for what you're saying, okay? Well, we have those, and they're called Biblical Prescriptions for Life commercials. They're free to anyone that wants them. They can go to heartwiseministries.org, and and they can ask Nick that they can have the FTP files, and you can download them for your TV stations, your, your, your church websites, your Facebook pages. They're free. You don't have to ask for permission. They're just files. Biblical prescriptions were in one minute, I give you a biblical prescription for life. They're already showing on Trinity Broadcasting Network, Three Angels Broadcasting Network. They're already up on those networks. But, but it, it's for anyone that wants those. So, yes, we do, it's, we do make a commercial. And, but we try, if people want to learn more, they go to the website. And if they want to learn more about, take the next step, they can do that. Okay, do you have any cases of pulmonary hypertension and do you ever see a cure without medications? Yes. Well, the case for pulmonary hypertension, that means the pressures in the vessels that go to the lung are high. And yes, that's a curable condition depending on the cause. There's primary pulmonary hypertension, which tends to be genetic. That's, 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 that one's a hard one to cure. But there's secondary causes of pulmonary hypertension, sleep apnea, obesity, heart disease, um, those high blood pressure, those are curable. Okay, so secondary causes you can cure with lifestyle change. Primary, the genetics, probably not. But I know someone in a relationship that you can have that will, that will heal you in your time, even of that condition. Well, this is a long one. I'm going to save that one. When you get up in your 50s, you can't see as good, 53. If you have a heart condition, is cheese something you should try to stay away from? That's an easy one, too. Yes. And unfortunately, I, I used to love to eat pizzas and stuff, and I still like a pizza occasionally. But you know what? Pizzas are high in fat. And if you eat more than 10 to 15% of your calories in fat, it's stored in your body. Cheese also blocks the production of a chemical called nitric oxide, which makes the arteries bigger. A quick story. About a year ago, I had a fellow that comes into the office, 38 years old, and he comes to me, Dr. Markham, I want to have some Viagra. And I said, no, you're 38. You know, what are you going to do, take Viagra the rest of your life? You don't want that. I, he said, I said, why don't you do this? I said, tell me about the food you eat. He ate pizzas every night, cheese, fat, all sorts of bad food. I said, listen, for 10 days, 
10 days, I want you to go on a whole food plant-based diet. So he, it was tough for him. He didn't like it, but he went to the whole food plant-based for 10 days. He came back with me, big smile on his face, and he says, guess what? I go, what? He says, the flag was raised. So I don't know exactly what that means, but I think he's eating more greens and beans and less cheese. Cheese aren't good. Can medicine trigger Alzheimer's disease? Okay. Well, Alzheimer's is a global term. You know, sometimes we see tangles in MRI scans in the brains, but sometimes people just get dementia. The number one cause of dementia now is vascular dementia, blood vessel dementia, and everything that helps the heart is going to do that. Can medicines actually cause dementia? Well, you know, I guess certain ones could. You know, anything that stresses the body, anything that hurts the brain, I guess could do it. Um, specific medicines do have side effects. I would think that the ones, if they did prove that medicines hurt dementia, the ones that would hurt the most are the ones that have direct effects on the brains. The anti-anxiety, anti-depression, anti-Parkinson's, anti-that would, would probably be the ones that I would suspect would have it more than the others. But I don't know of a definitive study, but I would say it's possible. What are some good exercises for weak legs and poor circulation? Okay. Well, if the, cir- the, the people that I have in wheelchairs, I have them just take deep breaths and move their arms because that will increase their circulation. Just keeping deep breaths moves the diaphragm and many of the parts. If you can do more than that, if you can walk, that's a great exercise. If you can do a stationary bike, that's good. If you have a whirlpool at home, you can just sit around in the whirlpool and move. So in the chapter on movement, we started with, we assumed that people couldn't do anything. I had a fellow the other day that started two years ago, and all he could do was walk six steps. That's all he could do. But he started with six steps. And then a month later, he was up to 10, up to 15, up to 20, up to 30. He came in not too long ago. He's now doing a mile every day. You've got to start slow and build whatever you can do that doesn't hurt yourself. Remember, it's the moving that gets the blood flowing, changes your circulation, brings oxygen to different parts. If you even do it just a little bit, sometimes it helps you enough to do it a little bit more the next time because your body improves. So those are some little things to help. I enjoy swimming because my feet get hurt a lot. So I like to go to the pool and swim in the pool as, as one of my exercises that I do. What is your opinion of chiropractor treatments? Well, it's according. The chiropractors, the premise of chiropractor is you know, one of the things that they do is they release pressure on nerves. And pain comes from nerves. So if you get a good chiropractor and he can release pains from the nerves, I think that's fantastic. But you also have to recognize before you go to a chiropractor that you don't have a a more serious medical problem than that. Okay, I had one person that had a broken neck that went to a chiropractor. The chiropractor did not help that neck at all. I had one person that was trying to adjust chest pains when they were having chest pains from heart disease. The chiropractor wasn't able to help that type of pain. But for low back pain, some juvenile migraine headaches, relieving muscles can do. But I would want to make sure it's something that would fall into their realm and there's someone that's really good that wants to help you and that doesn't want to keep you coming back every week for more. They should train you how you don't need it. Often physical therapists are, are, are comparable to chiropractors as well. So that's another alternative to help with muscles that are out of position that are causing nerve pains. Okay, this is the long one. Okay, what is going on when I feel uneasy and my blood pressure is high, 160 over 90, but my heart rate is low in the 50s? Normally, it's 140 over 80, skip beats. This is, I'm trying to sleep, and it passes out for about an hour. This could be many things, okay? But the way I premise is, is whenever things in the body are wrong, I ask myself, what is stressing the body? And when a patient comes in first, I make sure it's something that's not life-threatening. Make sure they're not having a heart attack. Make sure they don't have a bad infection or something modern medicine could help with. It's something they don't need a pacemaker or have a genetically abnormal rhythm. And it might require a little bit of testing. But then, then after that, remember, blood pressure is not the problem. It's what's causing the blood pressure. The heart rate's not the problem. It's what's causing it to change. So once we make sure it's nothing serious, then I, then I try to identify the stressors. 
and we went through some of the stressors, not drinking enough water, not, you know, not worshiping, not moving, mental stress, all these different stressors that can be. We can even have people that drink too much caffeine that can cause it, energy drinks. Um, I had a guy that came back with, with, with something like this a couple weeks ago in the office, and we went through all. He didn't have anything terrible. He could walk. He wasn't passing out. And in talking to him, I said, well, are you doing anything that can stress? Tell me about what you eat. He told me about that. I said, are you doing over, any over-the-counters? He wasn't doing over-the-counters, but he was taking methamphetamines. Okay? He says, yeah, I do med every day. And I said, well, that's probably doing with it probably not agreeing with you. It's a stimulant that speeds your heart up, much like energy drinks. Let's try to move away from that. And guess what? He came back a couple weeks later. He quit the mat. His, his funny feelings went away. A lot of people just need education and encouragement. You know, he didn't know. I mean, no one ever told him that it was, you know, he sort of knew that it was bad, but one of his friends that would make him have more energy and this and that, and, but he saw what it was doing to his health, and then he backed up on that. Well, we have other things that can do that that we don't even realize. Some people have allergies to foods. We have things like caffeine, not drinking enough water. Um, we know that high fructose corn syrup can turn on insulin-like growth factor and cause all sorts of problems as well. So there's lots, the body is very complicated, and working through that requires going through the stressors on one at a time. And that's all the questions. Thank you. I want to say another, just a really big thank you to Dr. Markham for coming up here to Stearns. Uh, can we all give him a hand and just say thank you?